the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Philanthropy SA. This is a podcast about and for the philanthropic community in San Antonio and South Texas. We introduce organizations and people who are making an impact in the community. Beneficent Financial is proud to sponsor this podcast, and it is our hope that you enjoy this conversation about the impact we can have. The goal is to edify and inspire. Now, please join our host, Dan Rebman. Well, thank you for joining us today Philanthropy SA. I'm your host, Dan Rebman, and I'm very pleased to be joined by Lisa Brunswald, who's the uh, the uh, CEO, director, overall grand poobah over at the uh, <laughs> San Antonio Area Foundation. You're missing a very important word to that title, and that's interim. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you know, I don't – anyway, so that's we'll, – we'll, we'll see, right? So, um, But you've been there for a while and in, in other capacities as well, and and everything, and just uh, we're going to get to hear a lot about the foundation and that kind of thing. But I wanted to start with you and what kind of you've got a career that goes way back and has always been in public service and philanthropy, correct? Right? And so, what kind of did that for you? What made you choose that path? Well, if you ask my mother, she would say that it started very early um, back in my high school days when we would prepare for pep rallies, and there wasn't a budget for these little things and giveaways in the pep rallies, and I would basically go knocking on doors of businesses and ask for items, whether it was popsicles or blocks of ice or or whatever. And I just didn't know that anyone should ever be scared of asking for something. It's that ask-not-have-not mentality. And I found out that I really enjoyed connecting need and availability to supply. And so for me, just looking back on a career that's really rooted in fundraising, it's never felt like work because I've always had the luxury and privilege of working for organizations that I truly believe in. So it's really just getting to continue to to cheer and amplify great works that organizations are doing and invite people to join. Outstanding. And it's funny, I uh, I had Jim Barshop on uh, a few episodes ago from City Year, and he talked about he got involved in uh, uh, he got involved in philanthropy starting with UNICEF and okay. running around collecting money for UNICEF, and he wanted to be one of the top you know people that you know got the prizes and all that for that when he was a kid. So, um, you know, it is interesting that some folks are just kind of drawn to this naturally, and it kind of their their natural gifting. Um, so, why what brought you to San Antonio? We moved to San Antonio a little over 20 years ago, Had was born and raised in Corpus Christi and always knew of San Antonio, and it was just a job move for my husband. We came to San Antonio, and the first year we were here, the Spurs won a national championship. Toyota announced that they were relocating to San Antonio, and I remember being a little glib and telling my friends in Corpus, this is what it feels like to work (laughs) and live in a city that is winning. (laughs) And I have just 
fallen in love with the city and call it home Yeah. now um, and had a lot of opportunities while I've been here. But the San Antonio Area Foundation and being the community foundation and being familiar with the work that is going on and has been going on for a number of years was just a tremendous draw for me. That was always my goal is to get to this organization. Great. Well, I can certainly relate on the you know, you had these events happen right as you got to San Antonio. So as they say, you couldn't prove causation, but you could prove correlation. <laughs> you bet. So, you know, definitely take credit for that. You bet. Um, so you get here and, of course, you know, you were involved with other organizations before the Area Foundation. But in terms of the Area Foundation and what it does, I mean, I've been exposed to it as a board member, you know, on nonprofits where it's kind of like, hey, you know, we're going to, you know, submit for something from the Area Foundation or that type of thing. Also, I'm aware of the training and that type of thing that you all do, but there's a lot of stuff you all do. Um, and so what do you say or how would you describe the foundation to somebody who knows nothing about it? I would first describe it as our community's charitable giving headquarters. I feel like not only in making grants and distributing awards to different organizations in the city, but also working with individuals, families, and businesses on how they can direct their philanthropic dollars to have the impact they desire. Our mission statement, which was retooled just a couple of years ago, we went through a a big, a major strategic planning process with our board and really recentered where we were going in our North Star. And our mission is to serve as our community's most trusted and impactful philanthropic partner. And that goes both ways. It's not just a one-way street with giving away money or taking in money. But like you mentioned, Dan, it's the training. It's making sure that our nonprofit ecosystem is healthy and a good investment for those people that are making those investments. Our vision is to close opportunity gaps for those in San Antonio who need it most. And with a vision like that, it's pretty easy to make decisions as we look at different opportunities that come our way. I, the, the COVID pandemic just really gave us cause to pause and look at the way we award grants. This was already in the works, but that accelerated the work we're doing to really examine our community and and target the zip codes that have the most marginalized citizens. Where do we see the highest poverty rates? Where do we see the least bit of access, whether it's to affordable housing or food or education? You know, what pick your category. And let's target those. So our our evolution since 2020 has been, you know, what feels like a seven-year journey in three years, but it has made us, I mean, our organization is, I don't think people can really grasp everything we do and the speed in which we do it. No, and it's a much bigger organization than even I realized in terms of just your scope and all the, you know, the different sort of categories, if you will. So feel free to kind of slice and dice that a little more for us. Sure. Well, typically when I see someone and and it's the cocktail conversation of what do you do, where do you work, and I say the San Antonio Area Foundation, a lot of people immediately go, oh, you're the one that helps animals. Because we had a huge campaign 
about, well, a little over 10 years ago around the live release rate for animals. And we had a donor come in and we really focused on that one project. So people still tend to associate us with animals. So what I like to lead with is um, our total giving. So next year we celebrate our 60th anniversary. That's great. Do you want to take a stab at the total dollars that have gone out the door since 1964? Wow. Um, I'm going to take what will undoubtedly be a conservative guess, but I'm going to assume in the 60s, you know, we're talking, I'm a financial guy, so discounted dollars, right? <laughs> okay. So I'm going I'm to discount backwards for inflation and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we'll say like 80, 90 million. 650 million. See? As of January of this year. And um, a hundred million of that scholarships, and so when when I try to quantify those numbers or someone, where do you mm-hmm. work, San Antonio Area Foundation? Do you mm-hmm. do animals? No, we do the whole community, and then I'll usually give that number for twenty twenty two. It was sixty million just in that year. About eight million of that was scholarships, and we can break that down in all the different categories of funding. But that's usually when we get people's attention. And like you said, it comes in a variety of delivery methods, if you will. There are responsive grants that require an application. There's strengthening nonprofits. There are donor-advised funds. There's, you know, all different pieces. But when it all adds up together and you look at that aggregate, and what it means to the community, it's huge. Um, and, and it's really, you know, in your line of business, starting with a blank piece of paper when you're talking to someone because there's so many different ways that we can have impact on the community and so many different ways that we can honor someone's legacy if they're doing legacy planning or someone that wants to make immediate change. So it's really, um, we have to listen a lot. Yeah, because you're listening to donors, but you're also listening to organizations that, you know, are going to provide those services. And so I've always thought of the foundation as that conduit, that connecting piece between, you know, the folks who want to make an impact in the world and the folks that are making that impact, that are out, that are the boots on the ground, so to speak. You bet. And and that's where, gosh, when I really want to brag about the foundation is we are responding in real time. So just like with the COVID-19 response fund, that was up and running within a week of the city's shutdown. And for most people, seeing that photograph of all of the cars lined up at the Alamo Dome proved that basically San Antonians have a three-day window before they experience food insecurities. And typically, those Families are going to be situated in those 17 zip codes I mentioned that have the highest poverty rate and the least access. And, you know, like I said, that changed the way that we make grants, but also created an urgency to how we do that. And you just, a community foundation is structured in such a way that we can respond quickly and we have that agility to respond in in real time. You know, when you talk about convening, it was in the last 10 years, a white paper was written by a gentleman that, that worked at the Area Foundation talking about what was coming ahead in the area of aging adults. 
And back then, they were calling it or referring to it as the silver tsunami. And people kind of got a giggle out of that. But when you really break that down to think about, well, what does that mean when the population has more older adults than it does births? Well, how does that change public transportation? How does that change housing? How does that change, um, again, the food insecurities and all those things? So we have a collective impact model that we're working on right now. Um, it's called SALSA. It's Successfully Aging and Living in San Antonio. What a it's, great San Antonio name. Right? That's what I thought. I wish I could take credit for it. You need a it, sister but. program <laughs> called Queso and then you suck. We can work on that. Um, but the point to that is that we are convening. It's not the San Antonio Area Foundation sitting in a room in a silo predicting what's best, but bringing in partners in the community that are providing direct services to that particular population and problem solving for the future, but also addressing the dire needs of today. Very good. Um, So in terms of the kind of projects and things that the foundation is working on now, what are kind of some of the things that you would particularly like to highlight? Some of the areas maybe of most need that aren't being met that, you know, you'd like to see people step forward and say, yeah, I'll sure. help fill that gap. Maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah. Um, so when we do our responsive grant process, we have what we refer to as four buckets. So cultural vibrancy, and that's really looking at the arts, livable and resilient communities, we have youth success, which is really your education piece, K through 12, and then the, the aging, successfully aging and living in San Antonio. When we make those grants, Dan, we, basically, we run out of money. There are 187 applications, and we can fund 20. Wow. And so the need is there for people to join us. How that is different from someone just on their own saying, I want to support XYZ nonprofit, is that we're looking at the organizations when they apply, who is serving the most individuals in the areas of greatest need, and what is the most compelling and pressing need. So when people think of the Area Foundation and they think of opening a charitable fund, a lot of people will discount themselves to say, I don't have that kind of money sitting around. I'm not not a philanthropist. People are really scared of that word. But what they can do is contribute to one of those four impact funds or buckets so that we have dollars that we pool with other people's dollars and support more organizations. So that's where I would really direct people, is within those four buckets, those four impact areas, what resonates with you? Are you more interested in education issues and what's happening to kiddos 12th grade and under? Or is it more about the collective impact work in seniors? Or is it is it the arts? Is it livable and resilient communities where we're talking about people experiencing homelessness or affordable housing or food insecurities. Narrow that down and then partner with us. Let's work together to identify the nonprofits that are doing the most immediate work and fund them. Sure. No, that makes sense. Well, I appreciate you being here. We're going to take a quick word to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Lisa.
Many of you out there care deeply about wanting to make an impact on the world around you. You want to help take care of the people and organizations that are important to you. And we understand that because we feel the same way. Beneficent Financial wants to help you. Our mission is to help people like you with professional, individualized financial advice achieve their objectives. Whether your financial legacy will stay within your family or benefit the community at large, we are able to help. Call Beneficent Financial today, 210-999-5511. In addition to traditional wealth management, we offer philanthropic services such as direct donations of required minimum distributions, donor-advised funds, and foundations. Call 210-999-5511 or go online to beneficentfinancial.net. Let us help you do well so you can do good. Securities offered through Momentum Independent Network. Member SIPC slash FINRA. Okay, thanks for being with us today on Philanthropy SA. I'm joined by Lisa Brunswell. She's the uh, interim Executive Director, CEO, Grant Poobah at the San Antonio Area Foundation. And very glad that she's joining us today. And uh, we were talking about kind of programs and that kind of thing. Um, one area that is very near and dear to my heart are the concepts of donor-advised funds. Mm-hmm. And so the way that a donor-advised fund works is that people can assign funds – some of their money, they can donate it to a fund. They can then determine that they want to make grants from that fund and you all assist in that effort to to do the grants. The funds can be invested so they can continue to grow. Absolutely. Um, you can also take in assets other than cash like appreciated assets or mm-hmm. – you know, even real estate and those types of things uh, into into the donor advised funds. So they're an incredibly tax efficient vehicle for giving, um, and I think they're definitely something that that folks need to uh, keep in mind. Now, depending on the foundation and the donor advised fund, um, sometimes there's limits on where you can grant to or that type of thing. Because at the end of the day. The donor doesn't get the final say on the grant that's left to the organization administering the donor-advised funds. So what are some of the rules and regulations that the San Antonio Area Foundation has around that? Oh, I am so glad you asked. You know, to me, donor-advised funds are um, a gateway. It's an on-ramp to really learning about, number one, how you can make a difference and have an impact. But two, what are some tax advantages to doing this? How will this help you on an annual basis, or does this really figure into your long-term strategy? And with a donor-advised fund, as you know, you get the immediate tax deduction for that year. And I know Congress has looked at delaying that a little bit based on the dollars going out the door. But the way it stands right now, that donor gets an immediate tax benefit, and they can deduct the amount that was used to start the donor-advised fund. The language we use is that then that donor or fund advisor has the privilege of recommending grants. The reason that we are very careful to say privilege is to make the gift complete, the donor has to no longer control the assets. So the assets become those of the San Antonio Area Foundation, but for lack of another word, that donor can look at that as an account that they advise. So the donor can make those grant recommendations 
our team goes through a due diligence process. We want to make sure that the 501c3 that was recommended in the grant is in good standing with the IRS, that everything is flush on GuideStar, that um, they are not engaged in any hate group work, but it's rather reflecting our values and values-based grant making. And then if that passes all of the due diligence, then the grant is made. And the organization would receive a notice that um, John Johnson recommended a grant from the San Antonio Area Foundation for this amount, for this purpose. Um, You know, we really don't have, there's not a minimum required balance, if you will, to keep in the donor-advised fund. We do have requirements that grants, the fund has to be active because it doesn't do any of us any good if someone opens a donor-advised fund and then doesn't make grants in the community. So we keep an eye on that to make sure that all of the funds are indeed active and going out in the community. And then one step further that we like to do is really pay attention to what our donor-advised funds are doing so that we can circle back with those fund advisors to let them know of other opportunities that might align with some of the areas that they've supported. Sure. No, that makes sense. Um, is there a geographic limitation? Does the Do the grants have to stay in San Antonio or South Texas? Or? No. We can make grants all over the country as long as it's a 501c3, um, and then we can make grants Across the world, there's just an equivalency piece that we have to determine to make sure that it is the same or recognized in the same way as a 501c3. Some countries, it's a little bit easier than others. Canada, piece of cake. Um, but some of the others, it gets a little trickier, just identifying that it is the the same tax equivalent of a 501c3. Very good. So we're looking at these, you know, these grants or these these gifts that are being made. And then, of course, there's the buckets that you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier that are controlled. The, the grants out of there are controlled exclusively by the Area Foundation, uh, right, in terms well, of Well, yes and no. So I'm, okay. I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. right now we just finished a responsive process. And so this question comes up a lot. We have what are called community advisory committees for each of the impact areas or buckets. And those are made up of people in the community that have a demonstrated expertise in that particular area and have applied to be on that committee. We hold those names very close because we don't want to put them in a position of being lobbied in a way that wouldn't be equitable for all of the applicants. Sure. But the community advisory committee is the one that looks back at those top applications and determines this is where the awards will go in this particular cycle. Um, The Area Foundation staff has a role in that as far as vetting and due diligence and making sure that everything is complete, but the ultimate decision is one from a community advisory committee. Gotcha. Okay. That's good to know. Um, In terms of the looking forward, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked a little bit about COVID and obviously COVID fast-forwarded a number of changes, not just in the nonprofit world. You just look at the way we live today and the, you know, reliance on, you know, delivered items and, you know, all the businesses have kept their uh, reserve parking spots for picking up, you know, (laughs) stuff to go and, you know, the curbside delivery and all of that. So that just kind of fast-forwarded everything. 
within the nonprofit world or the philanthropic space, what do you think are the things that maybe like maybe were going to happen already, but boy, COVID just really got it going a lot faster? You know, I see that a lot of nonprofits are still struggling from the COVID recovery. And one example I can focus on is organizations that are in the arts, especially. There was so much revenue lost for arts organizations, especially performing arts, um, because you just didn't have audiences that were coming in to see the work, but they still had to keep the air conditioner going and pay all of those operations expenses. And in fact, one of our program officers that focuses on cultural vibrancy came to us and suggested that we have a very specific fund that was recovery fund for the arts. And it was to provide that, that help to get them over the hump as we were all coming out of COVID. There's still a lot of that. There are still organizations that had to make really tough decisions to cut back on their staff and their programming because of the pandemic and still haven't come back up to full throttle. And that's a concern because if we have fewer people in the nonprofits actually delivering the services, then we have fewer people receiving the services and it, and it just continues to spiral a little bit. So I still sure. don't think we've reached full recovery. Oh, no, no. I, I know that we haven't, you know, based on organizations that I'm familiar with. Um, one issue that in the nonprofit space that I've noticed, and this is one, this, this is going to be a less fun thing to talk about, oh, no. um, is just that there's so much, so many organizations with a lot of duplication or overlap in terms yeah. of the services that they provide. Um, and, you know, the the efficiencies that occur in the for-profit world where somebody will come in and do what we call roll-ups and they're going to come in and say, okay, well, I'm going to acquire three or four companies that all do this, you know, same thing. And then we'll be able to, you know, achieve economies of scale and be more efficient and that kind of thing. It almost seems in the nonprofit world, it's the opposite. It's like, you know, people will say, okay, well, here, we're going to go and target this niche or we're going to go and say, this is, you know, we're going to do something slightly differently or they're just, you know, very, very excited and energized about, you know, meeting a need, which is exactly what we want. But there's other organizations that are already kind of in that space and there's a certain amount of cannibalism or whatever you want to call it that goes on there. Um, I'm going to assume that at the Area Foundation, you have a front row seat to that. (laughs) And so what would you suggest or what would you, if you could wave a magic wand, how would that get resolved or dealt with? You know, I think if we looked at every segment and treated it in the same way that we're doing collective impact work and actually get all of the organizations around the table that do have a common denominator and talk about how we can share services or fill in gaps. And one that comes to mind right off the top of my head, and again, going back to COVID, is with food insecurities, you think of the big, huge partners that are doing the big, huge work and the heavy lifting. But there are also a lot of smaller partners that might be serving rural areas or actually doing food delivery to people's homes that can't get out. And so it has there's not a one size fits all 
organization, but it's that convening power and getting people around the, the table to say, how do we maximize impact? Where do you have gaps and holes? Where can I fill this in? And how do we work together on that? And it's just gone so beautifully with the aging collective impact model because you see people working together and helping each other and and just voicing, I have a need, who has an answer? And then everyone can leverage each other's talents. That's back to that conduit role. Yes. Um, So – if someone is uh, listening to this and they're saying, wow, you know, um, I didn't know the Area Foundation did all that or I want to get involved and I want to help, what what should he or she do? Uh, you know, I would suggest go to the website and poke around a little bit and see what resonates with you and then let us know. One, one thing that we are always looking for are volunteers to help us with scholarship review. And I have to tell you, that's one of the areas of the Area Foundation that always brings a smile to my face. You know, again, going back to that $100 million figure, for every dollar that has gone out, just the change that that makes in a family, whether it's a first-gen student or someone that's going to be able to go to a college or university that they may not have been able to afford otherwise – what it does to the family dynamics, what it does to the self-esteem, and how it just changes someone's trajectory. And then multiply that 100 million times, um, and that just gets me excited. And there is nothing more rewarding and uplifting than reading those scholarship applications. And if you ever have one of those days that you don't know what's going to happen in the future and you read those and you see there's so much hope in, in those and, and so much opportunity with those young people. So I would say that would be my advice is do scholarships. But otherwise, if you just go to the website and, and poke around. And what's that around, URL? It's S as in Sam, mm-hmm. A-A-F as in Frank, D-N.org for San Antonio Area Foundation.org. And that's where you can explore the different buckets or impact areas and what the work is. We also have an incredible storytelling team. And so there are a lot of really interesting blog posts that talk about the different initiatives, where it's, whether it's corporate partners for racial equity our equity fellowships, our learning and development, and the Holt training programs. There are a ton of ways to be involved. It just goes back to that blank sheet of paper, and and we want to listen and hear what resonates with you. Sure. And so if uh, somebody is listening and they're affiliated with an organization, mm-hmm. what's the calendar timeline for grants, review, you know, that that whole schedule. Now, that is also on the website. We just finished the responsive grant-making process. And so for this year, those opportunities are now closed. However, there are so many other ways that you can explore funding. And so I would really recommend we have just an amazing group of individuals that are program officers that have different focuses on those different impact areas. So if I were an organization and I were working in what would be called youth success, I would get in touch with those program officers, and they're all on the website, and just make an appointment to talk to them. And let me tell you about our mission, where do you see us fitting, who should we be collaborating with, you know, let us be that resource because it's not just about getting the money out the door, 
But again, how do we make our, the nonprofit ecosystem as strong as we possibly can? So it's a great investment. So Dan, when your clients come to you and say, I don't know what to do with all this extra money, <laughs> you know that it's a safe investment for them to work with the area foundation and really lift up the entire community. Sure. So, uh, Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. We've been joined by Lisa Brunswald. She's the exec- the interim executive director, CEO. <laughs> CEO is the interim title. Interim CEO. Interim CEO at the San Antonio Area Foundation. Uh, I'm Dan Rebman, and thank you for joining us today on Philanthropy SA. And as always, we want you to do well so you can do good. Thank you for joining us at Philanthropy SA. We hope you found something to inspire you during today's conversation. If you know organizations and people who are making an impact in the community, we would love to hear about it. Until next time, do well so you can do good. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.